Y'all, if you'd open your Bibles with me to John, or with uh, me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, our key text today in following Jesus in our sermon, the real Lord's Prayer. So, I title our sermon today, The Real Lord's Prayer, not by my entitling, but I borrow that from John MacArthur, because as I read and studied this, I went, yeah, and you all know the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And what? Yeah, yeah. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah, we know that prayer. But if you look back in Matthew chapter 6, where that comes from, this is where the disciples say to him in Matthew 6, um, Jesus teaches how to pray. And he says, when you pray, you ought to pray this way. Now, I don't know if they all bowed their head and prayed when he did that, if they were all taking notes, you know, because, okay, this is what the master says we should do. So we call that the Lord's Prayer, but it might be better referred to as the model prayer. But if you walk around saying, let's pray the model prayer, people will scratch their heads at you and go, what? Kind of like if you say, oh, that story about the father's love when you're talking about the story that's known colloquially as the prodigal son, right? It's maybe not got the right name, but that's how people know it. So I'm in no way disrespecting what we call the Lord's Prayer that is the model prayer, the Our Father. And not at all. There's great depth and richness and things we need to learn there. But I'm bringing to our attention this prayer. Because if you look at this prayer in John chapter 17, and you see there it's from verse 1 all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 26. You've got these 26 verses of Jesus praying. It is the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in Scripture. And it is a prayer that is deep, even though it's simple in its idea, it's profound and deep in its implication. Not just for Jesus praying for himself, the first part of it, or Jesus praying for his disciples then, the second part of it, or Jesus praying for all Christ's followers to come, that's you and I even now, the third part of this prayer. But it's the longest prayer of Christ recorded in Scripture. So we ought to pay attention to this prayer. We ought to take time to consider what it has to say to us. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. We stand together and we're going to read John chapter 17. And I am going to read the entirety of the chapter so if you get tired and you need to sit down, that's okay, but I promise it'll only take two or three minutes. I haven't timed myself, however, so start your stopwatches now. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I have given you because the, before the world began. Verse 9 or 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. 
They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name and the name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. No one has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you have taken them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we read these words of Jesus, these words of a prayer. And we hear him praying for himself and for his disciples and for us and all believers of all times. And we're humbled to consider it. As much as we are humbled, Father, would our minds be open as well. That you might touch our hearts and impress upon our minds. And even change our direction and our will Based on the words of the prayer, we hear Jesus offering for us now. 
Father, we thank you for your presence among us by your Holy Spirit. We pray now that we would be obedient to all we learn. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You'll recall that the Gospel of John is different than the other Gospels. The other Gospels were written closer together. The other Gospels borrow from one another. And we refer to the three other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as the synoptic Gospels. Sin, S-Y-N, like single, one view. But the Gospel of John was written much later. Matter of fact, it may have been one of the last books written in the New Testament. And so there had already arisen some Christian heresies. And so John is writing, if I may, a little more sophisticated gospel, telling the same story, but telling certain parts of the story in order to highlight them to combat what was going on in the world that believers were facing already. And it's interesting that John spends so much time almost half of his book, in the last few days of Jesus' life. And matter of fact, starting in John chapter 13, all the way through 14, 15, 16, and 17, we have four chapters of one evening, the evening that they gathered together in the Last Supper. These chapters are full of Jesus' teaching, and these chapters demand our attention as believers in Jesus, because if he's saying to his disciples, these are the things that are important. Of everything you've heard me teach, of everything you've seen me do in these past years together, pay attention to these things because I'm not going to be here anymore. So he's getting them ready for the fact that physically, bodily, he won't be on earth anymore. And so these last chapters we've gone through in the Gospel of John, 13, 14, 15, 16, and now 17, are called the farewell discourses. He's saying goodbye. And he's preparing his disciples who have been with him 24-7, 365 for three years, that he's going away. And so it makes sense then that at the end of a discourse like this where he's had all this teaching that he says, and here's the capstone, I'm going to pray. And I'm not going to go out and pray on my own, which he did momentarily. They leave and they go where he can pray. But I'm going to pray with my disciples and for my disciples. And it's interesting, even Jesus praying for himself. You remember the last verse of chapter 16. It's our scripture memory verse for the month. And Chris will put it up on the screen for us there. And that's John 16, 33. And the stage that it's setting as we come to verse 1 of chapter 17. So let's read this together. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Matthew or John 16:33. I don't know why I'm thinking about Matthew. So, he said everything in chapter 13, 14, 15 and 16 and there's this summary phrase here. I've told you these things because you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And then he transitions to a prayer. And although this prayer is probably arranged in your Bible with the headings that are put in by men that Verses 1 through 5 are Jesus praying for himself. You might have something like that in your Bible. And then another heading before verse 6, Jesus praying for his disciples. Another heading before verse 20, Jesus praying for all believers. And even though there's these three major sections, as I alluded to, there are actually seven different petitions or things Jesus is requesting in this prayer. 
And so that's what I want to focus on by means of our sermon and looking at these one, two, three, and 4. So the first petition, the first blanks to fill on on your outline, is that Jesus is praying that there would be glory to God through Him. Glory to God through Him. Now, each of these petitions we see are petitions because He uses the word Father somewhere in the sentence or the phrase or the group of verses. And, um, and, and he's asking him to give him something. Look at what he says there. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So Jesus is saying, I'm asking you to bring glory to me that I might give it to you. Jesus is not in this for himself. Jesus is saying, God, I, I want to be a mirror reflecting your glory. That's the way we ought to live, that we ought to live in such a way that we are like a mirror reflecting the glory of God. So my question would be, how dingy is your mirror? I mean, how much stuff have you got on it or do you need to get out the spiritual Windex and confess some sin and clean up your mirror? But go on, verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people, Jesus talking about himself in third person because he's speaking of the Son, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus defines for us what is eternal life, knowing God in a personal relationship. And that when he leads us, any people at any time, to believe in God and have a personal relationship with God, that's the thing that ultimately brings glory to God. And so that's Jesus' first petition here. And our question of this first petition is, how's my relationship with God? Most of you are here today because you are a believer in Jesus. There's been a point in time in your past when you confess your sins and you confess Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. You seek to be a Christ follower, a believer, a Christian, and live your life in such a way that you glorify God by your life. Yet, we live in a world full of sin. And we're all sinners, and we struggle with sin, some of us more so than others, some sins more than others. And our relationship with God may be challenged. It may even be hurting or stretched. So here's a question about relationship that will test your relationship with God. If God were to speak to you, Would you be able to recognize his voice? So think about the ways in which God speaks to you. He speaks to us through the Bible. He speaks to us in prayer. He speaks to us through other believers, whether it's a friend or just a believer we meet randomly or even a Christian song or a Christian we hear on the radio or TV. So God speaks to us by these different means. And if God spoke to you, would you recognize his voice? Or would you be going, I'm not sure if that's God. I got a phone call yesterday from a number I didn't recognize. And um, our dog was at the groomer. And so I thought, well, maybe it's the groomer calling or something like that, you know. Uh, But it wasn't. And I answered the phone and immediately I hear Mary Elizabeth say, hello, daddy. And even if she shouldn't, it wouldn't have said daddy, if she just said hello, and just the way she did it with a little kind of honoriness in her voice or something like that, playfulness. I would have said, oh, hey, Mary. And I immediately said to her, however, whose number are you calling from? Because, you know, I don't know about you, but if somebody calls me, I save it in my phone so I have it for the future. You know, it's like modern-day personalized caller ID, right? Um, 
And she said, oh, well, I'm calling. She was at a friend's house, and it was, I was like, is this their home number? Because I have the mom and dad's cell phone numbers, but this was that. But as soon as I heard her voice, I knew who it was. When you're in a close relationship with somebody, you recognize their voice. So that begs the question, friends, is your relationship with God close enough that you hear His voice? Have you spent enough time in the Bible that when God speaks to you, you say, that lines up with the Bible? Have you spent enough time in prayer that when God speaks to you through prayer, you say, that's God's voice in this prayer, not my voice, not my conscience, not the devil trying to lead me away that's good but not best? Do you hear, do you recognize God's voice? Now, a second thought here is not just the voice, but the obedience when we think about relationship. And our dog Hudson, God bless him, he's a golden doodle, and we found out from somebody else that we randomly met that golden doodles, as this man said, are puppies until they're five. He's two, and so he's still got all this excitement. And as Carl Brown would say, Hudson comes untrained. Uh, He's not too well trained to begin with, but, you know, I can tell him to sit If I have a treat in my hand, if he knows there's a treat present, if he's heard the treat bag or, you know, I show it to him or if he sniffs it, then he he sits down. He's like, all right, what's next, man? What do I have to do to get the treat? You know, and then you can ask him to do any tricks or do whatever. And now the kids have gotten into telling him stay and they'll go to the far side of the house or all the way down to the basement. And then they'll finally say, come Hudson. He goes down and he gets his treat. But Hudson's pretty sly. If he knows you don't have a treat. He just look at you like, I ain't going to sit for you. I ain't going to stay. I'm not going to shake your hand. I'm definitely not going to lay down. And I'm certainly not going to stay because you got no treat. How many of us treat God that way? That when we want something from God, oh God, I really need this. Then anything we feel like he tells us to do, we're like, we're on it. Yeah, God, we're doing it. But when everything's going our way and we don't need anything from God, we're like, nah. No, God, Uh, nah, nah. That we hear his voice, we know it's his voice, but we ignore him because we're only in it for the treat. Don't be like my dog, friends. You're smarter than that. You're better than that. Obey God when you hear him. Let's move on to your next point. Your next point is Jesus' second petition is glory in finishing his mission. Glory in finishing his mission. Now, I don't know about you, maybe you're somebody that things tend to get left undone, or you do them partway to begin with, or you never finish them all the way. But Jesus was a closer, man. He was a finisher. He wasn't going to leave this thing undone, and that's what he's praying in these next verses. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Well, there's some debate about that, you know, okay, completing. Well, he's not quite done yet. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't died. But he's speaking Future tense, that's what you don't see in our English, it's in the Greek. And Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So you've got this back and forth thing of glory that's gone on in these first verses. Jesus said, you had glory, you gave it to me. I bring them to you, so I give back glory. Now Jesus is saying to them, now God glorify me with the glory you had in me before the beginning of the world. It's this exchange of glory happening. Verse 6, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and have obeyed your word. 
Isn't that interesting? Elsewhere in Scripture, believers in Jesus are referred to as in the world, but not of the world. And you know, you came from the world. You were born like everybody else, I think. I don't know that there's any aliens among us, or I don't know that there's any immaculate conceptions. That we were all born in a natural way, and even though you might be born in a different place and all all these other kind of things, we're all human beings here as far as I can tell. And we're born in this world, but when we trust Jesus and we are born again, we become not of this world. Verse 7. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So Jesus has been quite clear with his disciples in this farewell discourse. If you go back and read chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. He's pointed them again and again and again. That what I got from God, I gave to you. What God told me, I told you. And that you are not mine, you are his. Jesus is a steward. Verse 8. I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. It's this last verse that spurs my next question. And that question is, how have I accepted Jesus' words? I thought about using the word received there, but you can receive them and not really do anything with them. Kind of like when somebody gives you a gift and um, my wife tells me I'm really bad at receiving gifts that, you know, I don't necessarily think I like. I, I'm not good with the face, you know. I'll be like, oh, thanks. You know, you've gotten a gift like that before. That you're immediately thinking, where did this come from? And, uh, you know, because it won't fit me and I might need to return it or I don't really need this or something like that. How many of us are that way with the words of Scripture? That we do take the time to read the Bible, we are prayerful about it, and we mean it, and Jesus delivers God's Word to us, or the Holy Spirit delivers it to us, and we go, "Um, oh, thanks, Jesus. And we're already thinking, I don't need that Scripture. That Scripture doesn't matter to me. I'm certainly not going to obey that Scripture. I'm taking this one back. You know, do I have a gift receipt with this, Jesus? That's why I ask if I accepted Jesus' words. Did you see in that progression of finishing his mission what Jesus said his mission was? His mission was to teach his disciples and give his disciples God's word. And so we know the whole Bible is God's word that we receive. But as he's praying for the 12 disciples, at that time 11, because Judas had just left, and he alluded to that in the prayer here in just a second we're going to get to, he says... That was my job, was to teach them your word, God, and they've accepted it, they've believed it. What about you and I, friends? That's the second petition. Let's look at the third petition. The third petition Jesus has here is protecting Christ followers in the world. Protecting Christ followers in the world. Now, he's speaking specifically of those first disciples. Those disciples get called, their names get changed, basically. So you can use the term disciple in a couple different ways. Initially, it was the first 12 dudes that were his followers, but then it got to be known more broadly for everybody who was a follower of Jesus, even in the Gospels. So then these first 12, that now are 11, get become apostles in the book of Acts. Apostles means apostello, sent out ones. So he's praying for these guys 
that will be the foundation of the church. These guys who will all be missionaries in one way or the other. These guys that will lead from this small little band of these 11 misfits that become world changers, if you will. And he's praying for their protection. Look at verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So again, God, they're yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. If we were to go back and look at what these 11 guys have done so far, we might see that they more often kind of messed up things and didn't believe Jesus to this point. But Jesus is saying, glory has come to me through them. So it was who they were and the little that they had accomplished and all that they would accomplish in the future that Jesus is thinking about. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me, so that they may be one as you are one. So two different parts there in that uh, prayer. He said, protect them, but let them be one. Do you think there's something about those two things together? Now, I didn't grow up reading comic books or anything like that, so I don't know any of that stuff like, you know, the, the Marvel Universe. But thanks to my son, you know, and because they make some cool movies, I've seen some things in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Those guys, Seth, are the Avengers, right? Yeah. And so, all on their own, any one of them is pretty cool. I mean, Captain America's pretty cool. You know, Iron Man's pretty cool. Black Widow, she's not even, it's like superpower. She's just this lady that can and knock people out. And it's crazy, man. So all these people are pretty cool on their own. But when you put them together as a team, they can do things working as a team that they could not do on their own. And that's just in the movies, man. What about us? Did you know that God put us together as a team? If you are a member of Southview Baptist Church... Even if you're a regular attender and for whatever reason haven't joined yet. But if you're a member, you're part of this body. And God put you here for a reason in order that we might function as a team to do more together than we could ever do alone. Our number one example of that is this day of resurrection, our Easter pageant coming up in a few months. And it's still in your bulletin now. Sign up. Tell us what you want to do. Because everybody can have a job. Some of you can have two jobs. Some of you can have five jobs. I mean, they're not all at the same time. But we need all hands on deck, as I say, because we can all serve together. And to me, it's a beautiful thing. We share the gospel. We portray the life of Christ. We encourage believers. We see lost people come to faith in Christ. And then the bonus to me, the cherry on top, is that we get to do it as a body of believers and name anything else in our church that everybody has a job if they want it. Trunk or treat now. But this day of resurrection, we can all serve together and we serve in unity. Let's go on there. Verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. We know that. He says, I'm coming to you now. Verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Friends, if all God wanted to do was to get you saved, 
the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, you'd be raptured to heaven. God has a job for you to do, and that's why once you trust Christ as your Savior, your goal is to then continue to pursue a relationship with Christ where your life has changed, and you seek to change the lives of others. That's what it means to be growing Christ followers. So let's ask the question here, and that question is, where do I need God's protection? Jesus was praying that his disciples then would be protected from the world. And we see that part of their protection was being unified together, and part of it was by God himself doing it. But what about you? What are the challenges in your life, mentally, emotionally, physically, that you need God to step up and do something for you that is supernatural, that are otherworldly? Have you asked Jesus that he might work on your behalf? The fourth petition. The fourth petition, and I'm going to have to speed up because uh, um, you know, I spent a little too much time on the first couple. I get a little excited. You, you know that, right? The fourth one is sanctifying Christ followers in the world. Sanctifying is a fancy word meaning set apart. Sanctifying Christ followers in the world. You've heard me say before that my wife got me a card for um, our wedding that says, you know, here comes the bride all dressed in white. Here comes the groom. And then you open it up and says, but frankly, nobody cares about rental boy. It's all about the babe in the dress. <laughs> Heaven knows how many other gentlemen wore that tuxedo I wore on that wedding day. I don't even remember any details about it or where we got it or anything like that other than I was nervous and sweaty. That's about all I remember, right? But I will never forget the first time I saw my wife in that gown when the back doors of that church opened up. It was like she was floating down the aisle to me or maybe I was floating. I was like, whoo! And the look on her face and her daddy's so proud with him on her arm. Yeah, baby! All about the babe in the dress. The reason I talk about that is that dress is sanctified. That dress is set apart. That dress is different. That dress is a -a one-of-a-kind, one-time-use-only dress. Unless, of course, you know, we've still got it. And Mary Elizabeth wants to wear it if she fits in it when she gets married someday, right? That dress is special. Quite unlike the tuxedo that I wore. Jesus says, you are special. And Jesus has said, I'm setting them apart. I'm making them different. And here's how it's going to happen. Look at verse 16, 17, 18, and 19. He says, they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. How do you get yourself sanctified? How do you get yourself holy? How do you get yourself set apart? By God's word. That's why again and again I tell you, read God's word, study God's word, meditate on God's word, memorize God's word, journal on God's word. It's all about God's word. What's it say in verse 18? As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I sanctify myself, and they too may be truly sanctified. We are sanctified by God's Word, spending time by ourselves, and your chair, your couch, your study, wherever, whenever you read God's Word, in order that when you get up and go out into the world, God's Word has sanctified you. God's Word has set you apart and made you different and equipped you for everything you're going to face. Look at your question there. 
What time do I invest in the Bible? How much time do you spend? Daily time? Regular time? Allowing the lamp, the light of Scripture to shine in your life. Allowing it to keep you from sin. Allowing it to equip you that you may be thoroughly equipped for every work of righteousness. The fifth petition we need to look at is the unity of Christ's followers. The unity of Christ's followers. Now, this is the third major section of the prayer where he's praying for believers now. That's even us. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So the disciples became apostles, went out, started the early church. We're inheritors of that. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. So he's talking not just about all of us in the pews here at Southview Baptist Church, but all believers of all churches, of all denominations, of all languages, of all nations, that we would be one. If Jesus prays for us to be one, why do we like to squabble so much? Think that comes from us, not from Jesus? Hmm, just saying. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity demonstrates that we are believers. Remember what Jesus said in the beginning of this discourse. Go back and just write it down. John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. And he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is when we love each other that we demonstrate we are his believers to the world that is watching. Think about this day of resurrection. And when you're tempted to mouth off at somebody because they're getting on your nerve or something like that. Because you've spent too much time with them and you worked a 40 plus hour a week job and then you're here all the weekend and you're like, I'm tired, I don't want to do this. It's an opportunity for you to love others and to demonstrate that you're different from the world because you're following Christ's command to be unified. And I'm bringing it out there now, friends, so we can pray about it now. And we pre-pray our pressure points and we prepare ourselves so that we don't get ugly with one another, but that we demonstrate our love to one another. I've got a question for you to think about there and might inform your prayer list. And that's, who challenges unity within me? Surely you can name a person or two, right? Somebody that's a member of our church, somebody else that proclaims the name of Christ, or maybe they're not even a believer in Jesus, but man, they know how to push your buttons. And they really get you going. And you need to pray about that person and pray about your relationship with that person and pray for that person that you might love them. Jesus' sixth petition is a heavenly reunion with Christ's followers. This is the one where we'd be like, um, come on, Jesus, you don't really mean this, do you? I mean, these guys would have been for sure when he says, Father, I want those you have given me. This is verse 24 to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. This is Jesus saying to God, I want you to send all these believers to heaven with me to see what heaven's like. This is like if you got a brand new house and you want to invite your friends and family members over and show them. Check this out, man. You're, you're going to love the way our kitchen is laid out here. And look at the space that our new living room has. Uh, or, you know, you get a new car, new furniture, whatever. Jesus is like, I love these guys. They're my friends. I'm in relationship with them. They mean more to me than any other people on this earth. And I want them to know. And so, God, would you give us a heavenly reunion that everybody who follows me can come see? 
your application question there is, what do I await in eternity? I can probably answer the category, if not the person. Because most of you have lost a loved one. And the thing you look forward to the most in going to glory may not be seeing Jesus, but seeing the person that you loved on this earth. And you think, that's what I'm waiting for in eternity. Some of you have bodies that have physical ailments, and those ailments may have gotten worse over the years. And you live in constant pain. Or maybe it's mentally that your chemistry is not right and you struggle with depression or anxiety or fear. And you're ready to be free of those things. All of us have things we await in eternity. But think about what Jesus said. My glory. I want them to see my glory. Because there's no more sickness. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. And then we can... Fully rejoice in Jesus' glory then because we don't have any of this other stuff to worry about. Seventh and final position. Jesus' prayer here is growing God's love in Christ's followers. He says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make them known, uh, make you known in order that, that's the so that, you know I love the so that, the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Did you hear that? Jesus is going to continue to make God known to us by the Holy Spirit, through Scripture, in order that the way God loves Jesus would become the way we love Jesus. How crazy is that? And I don't know about you, but I'm a long way from that. I mean, I love Jesus, and I'm thankful for Him, and I pray to Him, and I study Him, and I teach you all about Him. It's my privilege. But do I love Jesus the way God His Father loves Him? Not even close. But that's Jesus' prayer for me. That I would grow in such love for Him that it's like the way God loves Him. So your last question is what attracts me to God's love? I'm not even going to try to answer that one for you and fill in the blanks. I'll let you do that. You can think about that as we pray and as we sing. Pray with me. Our Father, I have to admit it's pretty cool for this preacher boy to get to open the Bible and see Jesus' prayer and talk about it with these dear brothers and sisters that are our church family that I love so much. And it's pretty amazing to see that Jesus, your one and only son, prayed for himself, prayed for his first disciples and prays for us. That we would be united, that we would be in your word and that we would grow in love for him through you. So, Father, this is an inspiring text, but. Frankly, it's also convicting because if we think about where we're at versus where Jesus prays that we can be, 
Many of us may have a long way to go. But God, rather than letting the devil get on our shoulders and beat us down and tell us that we're good for nothing or, oh, you haven't walked close to Jesus or it doesn't matter, it's just a sermon or those words are just whatever the devil may tell us, he's a liar. Would we right now be filled with your Holy Spirit to the point to say, yes, I want to live a life like that. I want to go grow to love Jesus like that. I want to grow to spend time in my Bible like that. I want to follow God like that. Be unified like that. And would we surrender right now whatever we need to surrender? And would you fill us with faith right now however we need to be filled with faith? Would you give us courage right now wherever we need that courage to make a change or to say something or do something? Whatever it is, God, would we respond right now for the glory of Jesus' name we pray. Amen.